Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intracasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor. Go give us a baller rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, NobleKnight.com, where Out of Print is available again. They're a brick-and-mortar game store that also exists online. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. Let's hear a quick word from them. Noble Knight is an online game store. D&D, they got that more. And if you think out-of-print games are nice, shop Noble Knight, cause they've got the best price. And if you got gaming products to sell, then Noble Knight will buy them as well. So go to the place where gaming's the bomb, and head over to NobleKnight.com. And don't forget to tell them that the Tone Show sent you. Alright, today we are talking about the Unearthed Arcana Ranger variant, and the psionic D&D survey results. Let's meet the panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. Who is pop culture's greatest ranger? Alex Basso, 4E ranger aficionado. Let's start with you. So I actually spent a decent amount of time just, like, looking up, Googling fantasy rangers, and, like, all that ever comes up is Aragorn or maybe Drist. So I'm going to go a little outside the box. I'm going to go with a character that showed up in the, this past summer with a movie and a video game. I'm going to say Mad Max Ooh. is the Ooh. greatest ranger uh, <laughs> of pop culture. He is a survivalist. He's a loner. Uh, he's great at ranged combat. He can also mix it up in melee. So there you go. He, you know, He's a ranger in a weird future wasteland world, but you know, I guess he kind of fits the bill. Yeah, yeah, I would say he fits the bill. He, uh, you know, I would say in older Mad Max movies, he's pretty good at tracking stuff down too. Yeah, and he has a dog that loves him. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. finding paths from from point A to point B. He, yeah, yeah. I buy Mad Max quite a bit. All right, and also with us, of course, is Rudy Basso. Rudy Basso, who is pop culture's greatest ranger? Uh, it took me no time to immediately decide Walker, Texas Ranger, <laughs> is the best ranger. There's no question. That show was on for, like, several years. <laughs> 203 episodes, including a TV movie, according to Wikipedia. So Certainly a great ranger. He, he was able to get out of all situations. Uh, and then a uh, special newbie to the roundtable, Rich Howard, is with us. Hey, guys. Rich, tell the people a little bit about yourself, uh, where you've come from, what's your gaming background, and what else do you do in the world of games? Because you do quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm a columnist at a website called Tribality.com. Woo. I do, uh, I do a column over there called From the Depths. I have a degree in marine biology in addition to all my other eclectic craziness. Uh, and I use that to uh, apply to gaming environments for science fiction, fantasy, showing people how to bring it uh, new and new and exciting stuff 
fresh stuff to your games. Use all those aquatic creatures in the monster manual that nobody ever uses. That's what I'm here for. Uh, and then I've just been I've been guesting on podcasts. I do a lot of third party publishing uh, stuff. I've been doing some fifth edition uh, conversion work for uh, Wolfgang Bauer for Southland settings. I did some stuff with him and Dan Dillon, who's his developer. I'm oh, there's some other stuff I don't, don't think I can talk about actually. Now that I think, <laughs> so you get you get nothing out of me. Nothing. Why don't you tell the people who you think pop culture's greatest ranger is? Yeah, I was in the same position. I was like, all right, Dritz and Aragorn. Jeez, who else? Who could there <laughs> possibly be? I'm voting for, and I'm glad none of you guys took it, Billy from Predator. Oh, that is a good choice. That's a great answer. That's yeah. a great answer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You ain't afraid of no man. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what's out there ain't no man. I love it. And uh, for those who may not be familiar with Predator, what do you think makes Billy a great ranger? What? What was that question? <laughs> <laughs> Billy was Billy was awesome, but it, in, in many ways, he was you know they're almost unfortunately almost a little bit too cliche tracker. But he was a he was a bad man. Um, but on top of that, he just he goes to town. I, I can't I can't tell you what his fate was, but like with the rest of the team, it, it wasn't pretty, but he owned it. He so uh, he he did he owned it. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I think I think that's my favorite part about him. He he owned up to his fear and then faced it. I loved it. He really does. Yeah, I would say that scene uh, in which he owns up is a uh, is pretty <laughs> over the top. Uh, yeah. Exciting. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, of course, we are talking about the Ranger today uh, because in the most recent Unearthed Arcana column, um, they released variant ranger um and this is not meant to replace the current edition of the ranger class this is meant to come in and supplement and be another option uh the reason they're doing this is because uh all their survey results and everything are indicating that this is the class from the player's handbook that people are least happy with least satisfied with and you know they talk about kind of what they're trying to do is give the ranger some things that are uniquely ranger. That they felt that, like, uh, you know, nature, kind of the druid's territory, stealth, kind of the rogue's territory, fighting really good, kind of the fighter's territory. So what is the way that we can make the ranger different and unique and also feel balanced and have the number of options the rest of the class does? Um, so looking over this, there are a lot of things that are different. Um, some things that are still the same from the player's handbook. Uh, you know, for instance, rangers still get to pick a fighting style. Rangers still get the natural explorer ability. Uh, and we should also mention that this is only the first five levels of this new rangers class. So there could be more stuff coming. We can't comment on how high-level ranger has changed. Um, one big thing that, Rudy, I think you noticed uh, today when we were talking about this, probably one of the first things that jumped out at a lot of people, no spells in this ranger, which I think is is kind of a, a cool thing that we're seeing this ranger that's maybe a throwback to the very original ranger, also maybe your, your 4E ranger who didn't really have spells. Um, so we're seeing some cool stuff there. Uh, we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about all of the various features and things we're seeing uh, that the ranger has. And the first thing I want to talk about is hit points, guys. Ranger hit dice, 2d6 per ranger level. Uh, pretty cool that the ranger hit dice are 2d6. 
Uh, it's the first class we've seen have multiple hit dice as a as a hit die, you know, if that makes sense, um, and that you're getting two per level. Um, again, maybe a throwback to the Ranger of Yore. I believe the original iteration at first level got 2d8. 2d8, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then one every d8 after that. Uh, what did you guys think of the Ranger getting 2d6 hit dice per level? Let's start with you, Rich. I love the thought pros- process behind it. Their, I, their concept was trying to give the Ranger more control over their healing, like self-sufficiency. If you have a couple of dice per level, fifth level, you end up having 10 hit dice. You can spend one at a time. You get uh, Presumably, you get your con bonus to each one. So they have a little bit more healing and uh, and a little more control over it, which I actually kind of like. I, I'm on a toss-up with the 2D6. Like, it's the first thing you see on the list, and when I saw it, I was like, well, barbarian people are going to be really upset. <laughs> but the average hit points are the, about the same. They're, you know, if you use the average go up, it's probably about the same. Like, I, I just don't – I'm technically the numbers will crunch differently, but I think it doesn't make a lot of practical difference on the table. But – once you go down from there, you start seeing some other stuff that they're getting that just kind of all piles up right at the beginning. They're saving throws. They still get their three skills. Like It's like, whoa, okay, suddenly there's a lot going on here that they get benefits for. Um, I, I think it would be great if we had a D5 and they could do two D5s. Um, Dan Dillon, the, the developer I was talking about from Wolfgang and I were talking about the, the benefits or downsides of doing two D4s. Right. So... Because you'd still get your con bonus to each of the D4s for the hit dice, and but you'd have to pretty much put something in your con, or you're going to be, you know, shoring up less than the fighter. Nice. So I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what they're going to do on that. I would get it on the table first mm-hmm. and just kind of see what it is. I'm not a big barbarian player, and uh, but I do have a couple of friends of mine who do. So I'd get it on the table with them, see what they think. Yeah, that was my first thought, too, was like, oh, no, are the barbarian people going to be upset by this? But if you are taking the average at every level, the seven, it it is the same. D5s. If the people (laughs) at WotC brought out a D5, I would be shocked. I am not going to get blamed for that. Don't blame me for that. Alex Basso. You're a you're a ranger aficionado. Uh, what did you think of the two d six per ranger level as hit dice? Uh, yeah, I mean, I to be honest, I'm not like I love it. You know, if I was playing a ranger because I like being the best at everything. Uh, I just don't think it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really do think being like the big ball of hit points is the barbarian thing. It's one of the unique parts about their class. So just give it to them. I mean, I, they'd still probably get it because barbs, you know, have a little more reason to go constitution but you know them always having their own tier of health you know mm-hmm. unmatched by another class i feel like you know needs to stay and the rangers i, I don't know if they really need it yeah and i i agree with you on that too part of the fifth edition barbarian shtick on having more hit points though is is their you know like resistances and things like that too so so again i might want it on the table but i wouldn't i wouldn't really dust up about making it back to a d10 rudy basso what do you think I don't mind it at all. I think it's really neat and unique, and I think Ranger could use some uniqueness because um, the PHB one I think is kind of <laughs> boring. But uh, it, I don't know. It's, no, you're, it's, no, you're yeah, right. I, you're right. Okay, good. I wasn't sure what you thought, so I didn't want to start bashing <laughs> oh, I, immediately. I, you, haven't, you haven't cut me off the hook yet, but it's coming. 
<laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I play a barbarian, and I don't mind if the party has more hit points. Like, it's not a big deal for me. It helps out in the long run, so uh, I, I'm not particularly offended by this. So it's cool. I think it's different, and I'm always for making new innovations and doing different things. Sure, and we definitely will talk about how does this compare to the old ranger uh when we when we break after we break down all these abilities uh let's talk about ambuscade uh which is uh rangers get to strike first and strike hard uh essentially when you roll initiative uh rangers get a special turn that takes place before other creatures can act uh on this turn a ranger can either attack or hide uh so essentially the ranger gets like a mini special restricted surprise round before everybody else can act uh this seems like a really really cool ability especially to get at level 1 along with your 12 hit points and the three skills and the you know the dexterity and wisdom saving throws are really great saving throws to have uh i thought wow this is uh, amazing do you guys like this and do you feel it takes some Something away from the rogue. Uh, what do you think, Alex Basso? Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's a great way to kind of communicate that the ranger, you know, they know their terrain so well, they can't really be surprised. And just to kind of bring that lore, or that's, you know, the classic background of the ranger more into the combat style, which I feel like they're kind of lacking, mm-hmm. you know, in the old build. Uh, is it too powerful or kind of, you know, does it show up the rogue? I guess, uh, I don't really know. Like, the rogue itself, you know, they've always been the one. They, they, do they still have this ability? I'm trying to think. They One of their builds, I think, has an ability very similar to this. Yes, uh, where they're, basically, they're never surprised. Uh, so yeah, and, well, I mean, also the barbarian is never surprised. I mean, it's not like this is completely uncommon. So I'm not going to say they're taking the rogue space, you know, by by getting this ability. And I feel like a good ranger is going to be kind of a combination of rogue abilities and fighter abilities because they're kind of like the medium between them and fighting styles. True. So I I don't think they're really stepping on their shoes too much. Uh, It it works well for the class. um, And it seems like it's just a lot of fun, you know, to be that, that guy who knows a who really knows the battlefield. And again, reminiscent of Aragorn and Drizzt, for sure. Uh, Rudy, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a great uh, flavor addition. You know, the Rangers are in tune with his senses. He's very aware of things other people not be. He's always the one jumping out of the way when the arrow goes whooshing by because he knew about it already. I think it really works flavor-wise, and uh, I am I think it's really cool. I agree with Alex. Very neat concept. Um, I don't know. Maybe he's said overpowered to get a surprise round starting from level one. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I would like to see it on the table, because yeah, especially in those early levels, you can take guys down pretty quickly with one attack, so. Yeah. yeah I don't know. That's true, but they can take you down, too, right? <laughs> uh, Rich, what do you think? Yeah, I spent a lot of time talking about this one. Jeez. Oh, nice. I had so many people uh, unhappy with this for some reason. <laughs> I agree with all of you guys. I love the flavor of it. I love the idea of it. I love that all the uh, Batman builds will now be Rangers um, <laughs> because they'll use that surprise round to disappear on you. But the it, it's a, the, the whole kind of talk is really it's it's a 17th level rogue ability that does basically the same thing. They get to have two attack two uh, uh, rounds. Uh, the difference is that the rogue at the 17th level, I believe, gets full rounds. Mm-hmm. So yes. they get a full round, and then they can later in the, on in the initiative get a second full round, and it's the thief archetype specifically. The difference is this one is two things you can do. It's a single attack or it's a hide action. Mm-hmm. 
And the other difference is if you give this to a rogue, they got freaking sneak attack. And the ranger is not being built necessarily as a, as a DPS machine anymore, uh, which I'm glad because that was kind of their shtick. And that's not really what I picture rangers to be at all. I mean, sure, deal damage or fighter, but I, I don't, my ranger's goals aren't to, you know, stabby stabby the whole time. They're, they're there for other skills and abilities. <laughs> so I love the flavor of it. I understand why people might be a little irked about it, but the fact that the 17th level, right, you know, thief gets, two full rounds. I just think that's that's pretty powerful, and I think this is fine the way that it is. Alright, uh, let's talk about the second level ability, Skirmisher's Stealth. So at the start of your turn, you pick a creature you are currently hidden from. So you have to you have to fulfill those requirements to start with, and then you remain hidden from that creature during your turn, regardless of your actions, or uh, the actions of the other creature. As, as a bonus action at the end of your turn, you can make a, another stealth check to hide if you fulfill the conditions of still being hidden. So if you're in an open field, there is no place to hide. So you're not going to be hidden from them. The way I picture it is as a sniper. It, it's always bugged me that, though I, I, I get the kind of game balancey damage stuff, but it bugs me that you, you have a rogue or a ranger or somebody with a bow that's in the middle of a, a, a forest somewhere. And if they fire at you from 100 yards, you automatically know exactly where they are and they're not hidden from you anymore. Mm. So to me, that's what this is about. This is about this is about sniping or about uh, that skirmish fighting you're talking about. It's it's Batman in a dark alley filled with you know boxes and and dumpsters. He comes in and and if you're one dude there, you want to give up because he's going to come out of come out of hiding. He's going to hit you from the back of the head, and then he's while you're disoriented, he's going to run right back into the shadows again. Gotcha. Now the thing is that it, it's only against one person. So as a DM, you have some control over bringing in additional individuals or do something else that you need to do. Um, so I, I, I feel like, I feel like it could be okay. It, it's not like hide in plain sight. Like, Oh, if you're within 10 feet of a shadow, you suddenly like, wait, what are you? Are, wait, did you jump into the shadow or are you still standing in front of the guy 10 feet from the shadow? I don't understand what that is. I don't know that it would be something you could use often as a, as a ranger. Mm-hmm. I think in the environment and the terrain is very important. Uh, when it is useful, you'll probably feel really awesome to have the opportunity to use it. I just, I don't know that it, it would be something you do every every single fight. But when it happens, it's probably really cool. We, I, I, again, long conversations online and people are like, oh, you just get to keep doing damage and nobody can see you and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, but it's, you're using a bonus action. So if you're using two weapons, you don't get the offhand attack. You do get two attacks, I guess. They would be an advantage because you're hidden. Um, but again, is the, the, the ability really sits in the hands of the, of the DM to some extent, not as bad as like, you know, favorite enemy damage back in the day. But if, if I don't want my ranger to be doing this, then he goes against a group of people, Mm -hmm. right? If I want to set up the environment so that my ranger can be cool in a forest against a guy he's managed to, a, a bugbear he's managed to isolate from the, from the crowd, the weak old one and take him down, that sounds pretty awesome to me. So I would, as a DM, I would be stoked to kind of have my ranger in the group be able to do that because I have some control over it getting out of control. It's not the, not to change gears, but it's not the swashbuckler thing where they basically just get to sneak attack all the time instead of just sometimes. Gotcha. There's is much more limited control I have as a DM to be able to stop that from happening or, or moderate that to make it balanced. In my opinion, I haven't gotten that swashbuckler on the table, so... I may eat my words when I get it, but. (laughs) Uh, Alex Vasso, Skirmisher Stealth, what do you think? 
Uh, I mean, it seems pretty cool for a ranged ranger. Uh, it really seems like it'll be something very tough to do as a melee combat ranger. I mean, it makes me want to use a bow and at all times be 100 feet away from the rest of my party and just, you know, pick awesome terrain to fight from mm-hmm. and just try and be, yeah, you know, that sniper. So, I mean, that's... I feel like in bows in general, maybe it's just our our games, James, but I I never feel like uh, I'm using the full range of an actual bow, you know, the 100-400. So to give me more of an incentive to go out of the way with my ranger to pick cool, you know, beneficial terrain Mm -hmm. and, you know, that I can duck back into every fight. It's definitely need for that and it's it's not something you're gonna be able to use all the time so to have ability that level two that could be really powerful that half the fights you know you might not even be able to use i think it kind of balances out uh let's talk about uh the spirit path which is you know the the archetype decision the subclass decision whatever you want to call it here for fifth edition the spirit path uh you know you pick a spirit companion which travels and protects you and watches your back in battle right now we've got three different paths the guardian the seeker the stalker uh the guardian spirit manifests in the shape of a brown bear uh the seeker manifests in the form of a giant eagle and the stalker manifests in the form of a dire wolf uh so let's talk a little bit about this. This is, you know, the big decision now you make as a, a ranger that sort of helps define what kind of ranger are you, in addition to things like your fighting style and um, that sort of thing. So let's talk a little bit about the spirit paths. Uh, Rich, let's start with you. Spirit paths, what would you think? I love the concept of these. So I'll start off with that. This is how I always picture rangers anyway kind of totemic shamanic connections to them. If you're going to put, they used to have magic user spells back in the day and then they got druid spells and it just seemed like they were walking this line and, and not really focusing what they were doing. Like, like um, uh, Rudy was saying earlier, I think they were just kind of, they, they were in all these different classes all in one class. And the thing I love about the spirit companions is the concept, uh, the execution, maybe not so much. So I think the spirit companions don't give enough individual um, archetype differences between your rangers. Like my fighting style for having a brown bear versus an eagle or a wolf doesn't really it is not the same difference in fighting style between an eldritch knight and a battlemaster. Totally, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what I loved about the spellless ranger option that came out was the the getting the spells out and putting the battlemaster maneuvers in. Right now, my ranger is a completely different feel. So though I love the spirit companions, I feel like the spirit companion should be a single archetype of which you can pick one of the three, mm-hmm. right? And then a different full archetype might be might be a more druidic, you know, spellcaster, and another archetype might be more a battlemaster or something else, you know. So I, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. I love the idea. I think it's not giving enough variety to the different like themes. I like that thought that this would be a choice similar to fighting style that you kind of make once, but doesn't really define your whole ranger the way, like you said, uh, the the way other choices define what sort of the way your fighter works, right? Is completely different if you pick one archetype versus the other. Um, And this really does not feel that way. No. And maybe part of the problem is the fact that all three of us had a really hard time trying to think of a ranger that wasn't dritzed or 
Aragorn, <laughs> right? So how many archetypes are there and what is it actually filling, fulfilling and what's it doing, right? Right. So that's, that could be part of the issue. Yeah. I love my very first D&D character was a ranger and uh, I just love them. And every edition I want to play them and check them out. And, and this edition I was not thrilled and I don't, I just didn't have a nice feel for it. You know, it just didn't seem balanced, like game balanced, I guess, but it wasn't, it didn't feel fun. This one feels a little bit more fun and interesting on the general fighting style, just not the archetypes. Doesn't really give me different kind of rangers. Alex Basso, uh, what about you? What do you think of the spirit paths? I mean, first I'm just going to agree with Rich uh, completely that he nailed it with the archetypes. I mean, my again, my first D&D character was a ranger. I mean, my first D&D character was five years ago, you know, in fourth edition, but... I really was drawn to the ranger because I love that they were described as a pure martial power. And right. one thing I've always hated about it is how they keep trying, you know, the spellcasting is required. And this spirit companion thing, making that such a core part of the ranger kind of discourages me from want- wanting to be one. Mm. Uh, that being said, I do like how it's a way to combine, say, the, the Beastmaster elements of the ranger that I feel like... It definitely didn't work in the core class. They're really <laughs> that was far and away, I think, the most underwhelming archetype of the entire PHP. Right. Uh, so to kind of bring that in uh, and make that a core part of the ranger, but not having it something to rely on. You're, you don't always have to maintain a second character if you're not interested in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and besides, that, I mean, yeah, they seem all the, the three choices do seem really similar, but it, you know, you only get one ability so far, so maybe when it's fully fleshed out, they'll be able to actually have a little more variety to them, instead of just you know, you get one bonus action, and you have a different animal. (laughs) So, I mean, if they can really separate, you know, maybe the Guardian is a much more defensive fighter, you know, Stalker uses more stealth. If they can really make them feel different, you know, it'd be better, but it's still, it's not, it's never going to be something I'm completely in love in, because I want the option to not have a spirit companion. Right. To just be a guy who likes the woods and fights with the skirmisher style. I've never understood why rangers are spellcasters. From first edition, I've never understood it. And back then in first and second edition, there were no skill systems that were really universal. So you had rogues who had their skills, and you had rangers who had their very unique skills, and never the twain shall meet, unless mm-hmm. you multiclassed, right? Which was kind of weird. But um, Which you had to na- do trigonometry to figure right. out <laughs> <laughs> right and all the different xp charts yeah <laughs> but um but in third edition they introduced a, a solid skill system that worked finally mm-hmm. that made sense but unfortunately what that meant was is that you know the ranger's unique thing was was gone and uh I, i've always wanted them to just stop putting spells on them and focus them on being something else like spell like abilities like again that's spellless ranger that had that they variant that they put out that had like healing salves and Things like that. That makes sense. That makes mm-hmm. perfect sense, right? Herbalism kind of things. The herbalism kit they get in this particular new rebuild is great. Um, but they should be focused on this kind of thing. The skirmisher, sneaking, stalking, tracking. Yeah, dealing some damage. But, you know, rogues deal a ton of damage. And fighters should be able to deal a ton of damage. And sure, they could do some damage. But I like the fact that these, these abilities are informing play style. I wanted to find a place to hide. And I think the other thing is, you know, first edition, Mike Merle's talked about this a little bit on the official D&D podcast. Um, you know, in, in first edition, one of the things that a ranger could do that nobody else could was wield two weapons. Uh, yeah. Now everybody can wield two weapons. So some of the things that made it unique when it started, it has lost. 
And so now it's trying to figure out, like, what are those things that can be just the Rangers again? Rudy, what do you think, Spirit Paths? Uh, I like it a lot. I have yet to play an RPG that has an animal companion that didn't feel either too much or too little. I think once per day is genius. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's actually also the the flavor of it kind of makes me feel a little weird that there's like a bunch of dudes walking around with bears as their <laughs> as their buddies. It just there's got to be a bunch of rangers in the world, so there's probably a bunch of guys with pet wolves or whatever. So this is a good alternative to that. Um, I don't have a lot of thoughts about you guys dropping ranger knowledge left and right. Uh, <laughs> I I do think that I would like to see an alternative that isn't just spirit animal like you guys have been saying i'd like to see a lot more spirit animals too i don't know plus Mm -hmm. like alex pointed out this is only level up to level five there might be more focus on the seeker the stalker or the guardian Mm -hmm. uh not animal related at later levels of this particular build so i think it's a good start i think it's way better than beast master or whatever the archetype was from the other version. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's open it up here about the Ranger then. Here's what I want to know. How, for you, does the Ranger compare to... And granted, again, we only have the first five levels, so I know that it can't be a complete analysis. So, uh, But just in general, how does the Ranger compare to the Ranger we already know in the Player's Handbook and to the rest of the classes in the Player's Handbook? How does it measure up? Rich, let's start with you. I, sorry, I'm just I'm looking at the sheet and I'm just stuck on the fact that primeval awareness is still in this class. It, <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking about this ability. It's it makes it's, it gets it gets worse when you when you're in your favorite terrain. You sit, you spend a spell slot to find out if one of six different things is is within a mile of you that you don't know the direction or distance. Right, and that that duration and there that range increases to six miles. So. I'm going to spend a spell slot. Is there a dragon within a mile? Yes. Well, right. Okay, great. There's a dragon within a mile. Okay, well, now I'm in my favorite terrain. Is there a dragon within mi- a mile? Well, there's a dragon within six miles, but you still don't know where he is. He could be right in front of you, but you don't know. Well, and you spent a spell slot. But this build of ranger, as far as we know, has no spells, right? Oh, I see what you're saying. So, so that's what you, were saying. you just do it on limited <laughs> so time. Balances out, right? Every mile we go. Is there a dragon now? <laughs> yeah, it just bugs me. Like, if you weren't in the core class, they should have had him not spend a spell slot or allow you to have it be for a minute where you could follow it in a general direction and general distance. Because if it's six miles away, you're not going to get six miles in a minute. Like, you could at least tell the general direction, okay, well, it's four miles away to the north, so we have time to prep. Something that's useful. The thing is ridiculous. Anyway, that was a bit of an aside. <laughs> so, how does it compare? So, for me, I'm thinking flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beastmaster would be one of my favorite things to do. I love having animal companions. I'm, I'm, I, I like this compromise of the spirit companion concept. I think it needs some, some fixing. Mm-hmm. Um, Beastmaster was terrible. I pretty much always would have wanted to play the, uh, what is it? The hunter. Right. I don't even remember what it's called. Cause I just focus on the Beastmaster so much. Right. Um, and I think that my biggest problem with the Beastmaster uh, class in the core was more that they didn't spend time talking about the beast as an NPC. They just talked about it basically being another way to deal damage like a weapon. Right. And that's what bothered me. So I think if they'd have spent some more time flavoring up this idea that this thing was supposed to be a companion that meant something to you, that you could do things with and that could do things for you and with you, 
I think it would have changed people's attitudes. Like it, it, yeah, they, they have some damage issues compared to, you know, Nova Paladins and all this kind of stuff, but I, I'm much more of a role player. And so I want my animal companions to mean something, not just be like, Oh my, well, my extra D eight damage and a pounce died. So I guess I'll go get another one at the shop. Right. Like that's basically, <laughs> that's basically how I wrote. There was one line in there and it says something like, uh, the animal will attempt to do what you ask it to do within its abilities or something. Mm-hmm. But then it spends three paragraphs talking about the attack action. Right. So yeah. So this is a, I think this is a better direction. The, the mechanics seem to feed into play styles. The skirmisher stealth makes you think about terrain differently. Um, the fact that you get this, you know, bonus Batman like awareness at the beginning of the round gives them something kind of cool. Other people were talking about like rogues, you know, two level dipping into ranger and multi-classing and stuff. I can go on a whole tirade about multi-classing in fifth, <laughs> but, um, so I get, you know, they, they, Watsi opened that can of worms, so they're going to have to deal with that kind of game balance with the multi-classing, which I don't think is necessary in fifth, but, um, Yeah. I don't know. I like it. I I would. I'm much more interested in seeing this on the table with my character um, than the core ranger. I still feel that the the rebuilt uh, battle master spellless ranger is a better is the best ranger build for fifth edition. That's my opinion so far. Nice, nice. And you best build in the sense of story, in the sense of mechanics, both. Both, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because you can still do a Beastmaster or a Hunter, but it becomes different. You you are changing your fighting style at the table and how you do things. I like the idea of the charismatic ranger mm-hmm. or even the grizzled old warrior ranger who was the scout for the military who knows how to lead people. I love that idea. That seems more interesting and unique to me than than the current ranger with spells. Everybody's got spells. Who cares about spells? <laughs> and you have to get Hunter's Mark. It's a right. spell tax. You know, if, if you don't get Hunter's Mark, you're not you're not effectively a ranger, which just bugs the heck out of me as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Rudy Basso, what do you think about this ranger and how it lines up in the spectrum of other classes? I like it a lot more. I thought that the core ranger was either an alternate fighter or an undeveloped pet haver. Mm-hmm. So I think this <laughs> kind of uh, combines those two ideas and takes it to another level. Uh, now that I think about it, taking a level in Ranger to get that ambush thing might be a pretty good idea if you have any kind of ranged character. Mm. That'd be a good thing to have if I was a fighter. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I like the direction they're going. I'd like to, you know, it's hard to to make a call when they're only level five levels through. Mm-hmm on which one of these, how, what these kind of archetypes will be. Uh, and I do like, as you mentioned, there's kind of a different, you can play differently. If you go with a guardian, you're, you're in more of a support role, which is neat, giving 10 hit points to your friends. And even the stalker is, is a, a support class as well. So it's, it's a different take. It's an interesting take. And I, I quite like it. Excellent. Excellent. And Alex Basso? Oh, I like it a lot. Uh, it definitely feels like, you know, just in the first couple of levels, like, choosing this class, you were, you know, you're getting a different play style out of it, which, you know, the other ranger didn't maybe really late game, you get a couple unique abilities, but even then, there was nothing really about the ranger that made it seem like I was going to play differently than other classes. I was just going to be a, a weird, weird combo. Uh, that <laughs> When I play test, I, I did play test one of them in, yeah, a while ago, you know, it didn't really feel that great. I was a crappy fighter who occasionally could cast some not that cool spells. Uh, Good. Bear. So 
to have it immediately out of the gate influenced your play style, I think is is great, and it's a huge improvement. You know, who knows what else they'll add, but I really think they've nailed these first five levels. Well, when we see the rest of this Ranger, I will bring all of you guys back here on the roundtable so we can talk more about it. We, of course, want to know what the people out there think about this, so go head on over to thetomeshow.com, leave us a comment in the show notes for this episode, or find us at facebook.com slash thetomeshow. Let us know what you think of the Unearthed Arcana Ranger. It's linked in the show notes for this episode if you missed it. Uh, Moving on, guys, we are going to talk about the psionic survey results uh that uh you know the psionics we took a survey in august the results were published around the middle of september um as per usual uh the results um for this uh were vague in some places really specific in others uh it sounds like psionics they kind of have some work that they still have to do um we did a whole thing on this podcast where we broke down what we thought about the psionics and we thought that basically thought that the one build uh order of the immortal was really great and the order of awakened kind of left us with uh wanting quite a bit more um so that's uh that's where we are it seems like the survey results sort of reflected those ideas uh they get into it a little bit deeper uh we'll talk real quick about these survey results and then the latest survey was all about the adventurers league uh specifically kind of what went on at gen con and that kind of thing so it was a very specific survey but i think uh one that was uh certainly necessary it was very different at Gen Con this year than it was at the year before when they launched 5th edition. Um, so uh, we'll talk a little bit about that too. But first, Psionics. All right. Uh, were you guys happy to see these results? Rich, we'll start with you. Sure. I'm, I'm a big fan of Psionics. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, the, I, the idea of Psionics. I'm not, there's really only been one supplement that I've really liked a lot, which was Steve Kenson did something called the Psychics Handbook, mm-hmm. which, made, which made Psionics like a skill-based system, and it was very different from Magic instead of just a reskinning. Right. So I'm, I'm really glad that they're taking, that they took a route that wasn't, that wasn't just reskinning Magic. Mm-hmm. I, didn't get, I didn't get a chance to get any of this stuff on the table, so uh, unfortunately I, didn't get, I, I don't feel like I'm super qualified to, to, to bash or cheer it. Um, all of this feedback seems pretty straightforward from when I was reading. I was kind of feeling the same way as you guys. Uh, Order of the Awakened was kind of okay. The Order of the Immortal looked pretty good. The psionic skill points, there was tons of them. It's a lot of skill points that being handed out. And so I think it was definitely something after a little bit of reading, I was like, you know what, I think I need to get it on the table again and just kind of see if I'm, what I'm missing in a practical sense. But overall, I think these, these kind of reflected my ideas as well. After the way 5th edition went down, I have a lot of faith in their ability to take this feedback and turn it into something useful. Um, so uh, so I'm excited to see that they're continuing to do this. Alex Basso, what do you think? Psionics, did you like these results? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really not too into the whole psionic thing. I do like the idea of it. The playstyle has never really been something I'm crazy about. Uh, I guess my favorite thing from this entire survey is the discussion that concentration might not be as required of a mechanic. Yeah, I think just yeah. going through the list, that was definitely jumped out to me as like the most restrictive feature that you're always going to have to concentrate on your discipline. And to be able to, you know, actually use other disciplines while you're concentrating on one can make the class so much more flexible. And then you can even start designing disciplines that don't require a concentration instead of having every single one have that concentration mechanic. So to make that 
not required, I think will open up the class a lot and give it a lot more options. So happy to see they mentioned that. Rudy Basso, what are your thoughts about the psionic survey results? Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to agree with what's been said here. I was happy to see that they wanted to retool more than rehaul because I really liked what what ha- they'd shown us in that that article about the psionics. I think that the side points are a really, really neat mechanic. And I, like Alex, I'm not big on, on that class, the psionic idea, but um, yeah, those side points are really neat. So who knows? Maybe I'll find myself rolling one next time we play. Oh, I also liked, um, I always like when they use like a quantitative numerical percentage, like uh, some of the earlier survey, kind of articles they're like most of you felt this way so it's good to see them actually drop numbers onto how the percentages of people who like this or didn't like this oh uh in the new survey uh it talks i you know i don't play adventures league so i can't really comment to that area but i'm very curious as to the question about like what did you think of our presence at gen con would you not go to Gen Con if we didn't have that press. Like it was just interesting. Wait, what? Seriously? Did they ask that yes. question? They Are said, we you know, if, to Gen Con? what did you think of our presence at Gen Con? If we moved to a different convention with the same presence, would you rather go to that instead? Would you still go to Gen Con? It was it was really curious. You know, we were very confused, I guess you would say, at at the lack of booth or on the on the exhibition hall. So it's just interesting. I don't really know what they're doing there. They asked, how important is it that we have a booth? Uh, how important is our presence on the games floor at Gen Con? What if we weren't at Gen Con and went somewhere else? What would you think about that? How important is it that we have seminar? Like all that kind of stuff, which was really interesting because that was a, you know, the circles we ran in at Gen Con, that was, there was a lot of talk about that because they didn't have a booth and they didn't do any seminars and they basically just ran games, but they didn't even have like a big crazy presence like they did for the launch. Um, nowhere even close. Uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, it would be, it would be very weird if they left. Uh, you know, Gen Con is named for Lake Geneva, which is where TSR was, which, you know, it was started there, uh, because D&D was there and, you know, essentially was a D&D convention. Um, so, uh, it would be weird if they left Gen Con. Uh, who knows if that's the case? Uh, maybe they're going to start their own D&D con again, uh, <laughs> uh, which they had a, a few years ago and then they stopped doing, right? Um, uh, so uh, it's, it's interesting to see where that's going to go. Uh, you know, th- depending on how people answer, they could go one way and, and lean full tilt into Gen Con more, or they could go the other way and pull back completely. It's not like it's going to affect Gen Con really. I mean, some attendance maybe, but that place is already packed. I've, I've just gone oh, the last sure. two year two years for the, my first time was a couple years ago. As we discussed earlier, you guys jumped in on some 5th edition, but I go to Gen Con to play a lot of the things that I don't normally play in my living room. Mm-hmm. So um, if they, I, I did notice that they didn't have a booth, which was kind of weird to me. I just figured I didn't see it because it's gigantic in there. And, um, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, from a nostalgia standpoint, you're right. I, don't think, I, I think that would be kind of a bummer if they left. But I, I, don't, think it, I don't think it's going to – Gen Con's just going to keep rolling. That thing's a machine. So um, – <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. But then I'd have to do, I don't know, I'd have to think about what I'm doing. You know, a, a fifth edition or D&D specific convention, mm-hmm. would I go? I don't know. I love fifth edition, but Gen Con gives me so many more things. I don't things. know if I'd go either, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I would want to play older editions of 
D&D, which is something they might do. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good thought. Well, and Rudy and Rich, you both were talking about Gen Con gives the opportunity to play games that are not 5e, which we play a ton of, Um, you know, uh, so because that's what's on our shelves and that's what a lot of people know and that's what we love to play. But it is nice to go and play a bunch of other games and pull those ideas. It's like a nice refresh and recharge. Um, So, yeah, so it it would be interesting to see what happens and and where things go. Um, You know, I might go to a D&D 5th Ed convention just uh, in the interest of covering the news for all the people out there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I still would want to go to Gen Con because it's a blast and there's so many great things. And you're right. If Wizards moved, I don't know that that would dramatically affect things the way it would, you know, if Magic didn't show up or, uh, you know, if Paizo didn't have a presence. They still have an enormous ballroom all to themselves. Pathfinder is still doing great. Um so, uh, you know, so well, we want to know what you guys think about the psionic survey results, and we also want to know what you think about the Gen Con organized play survey that uh, we all just took in September. So, do me a favor, reach out to us over in the show notes for this episode over at thetomeshow.com or at facebook.com slash thetomeshow. Guys, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Where can people find you, Rudy Basso? Hey, you can follow me on Twitter at Rudy Basso. That's R-U-D-Y-B-A-S-S-O. You can listen to our podcast on this very network. It's called D&D V&G. We talk about Dungeons & Dragons video games. Uh, and then, quick PSA. If you pre-ordered Sword Coast Legends expecting it to be the spiritual successor to Baldur's Gate or Neverwinter Nights, do some research, because it's definitely not. <laughs> um, we're going to release, perhaps it's out already, just kind of our thoughts on the head start, which all of us played in, and we were not particularly taken with it. I'll say that much. Yes. So and keep if, an eye out for that. If you want to see some actual play, uh, ah, true. L- linked in the show notes for this episode, uh, and, uh, is our Twitch channel. Um, so head over to twitch.com slash the underscore tome underscore show. Uh, and you can watch Rudy and Alex and Greg and Vegas and the one and only Mike Shea play some sword coast legends. Uh, so go ahead, check that out in action. Uh, Alex, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on my Twitter, uh, at yo underscore Alex Basso, where I retweet things. <laughs> and ja- especially when James tells me that I don't tweet for myself, I retweet that as well. That was an amazing uh, meta joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, you can also find me on the podcast and uh, streaming Short Coast Legends. I will be streaming more of it when it comes out. Maybe the single player campaign, which uh, could be interesting. <laughs> Check out the Tom Switch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Rich Howard, where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter. More active now than I used to be on Twitter. Uh, you can just search for Rich Howard, but I'm at Umbral Walker. Uh, I'm also uh, on Facebooks, of course. Uh, you can find my columns over at Tribality.com. And uh, also at my own personal website, which is gameschangelives.com. And then I'm all over the internet doing stuff. <laughs> doing stuff. And it was a pleasure being on here, guys. Thank you so much for inviting me back, James. Uh, totally. You're welcome anytime, sir. Anytime. Yeah. And Alex and Rudy, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Nice to be on with you. Yeah, you too. 
All right, everybody. You can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. And you can check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. Tons don't of go in, Don't go into his Underdark. That's what I'm saying. Don't go into his Underdark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some okay. weird stuff happening there. Uh, go in, but you won't come out the same. Come out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Rich and I are going to work on a, uh, a module for Undersea Underdark. Um, so uh, get ready for pirate <laughs> outfits. It's going to be the double <laughs> oh under. The double under. <laughs> uh, and Rudy and I are also going to recreate the vampire class from fourth edition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, gonna be edition. a great idea. It's yeah. gonna be awesome. <laughs> so uh, this Halloween, we're doing it. Uh, <laughs> okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to Rudy, Alex, and Rich. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup, and thanks to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the Roundtable.